Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. We're in the middle of the most important sermon series of the year at New Heights Church. We're calling it Unbroken. Unbroken because we all come to the Lord broken. We all come to Him in a wounded state, yet somehow He empowers us to live in a life that is unbroken. In other words, we don't have the choice. We're all messed up when we come to Him. Can I get a witness? Somebody just say, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, mainly you. No, don't do that. But God never intended for us to live consistently broken, but rather to live unbroken. In other words, we all have scars. Everybody say scars. Scars don't mean you're hurt. Scars means, a scar means you used to be hurt. A scar means you are healed where your harm was. So God gives us the ability to live this unbroken life, and there are four keys to living it. Number one is you have to have a purpose. You have to know that what God has saved you for is greater than what God has saved you from. In other words, you have to be uh, so fueled by your purpose that your past does not become more enticing to you. Does that make sense? So as we go through life and begin to live that unbroken life, we have to understand that we're going to have to figure out God's purpose. At this church, our purpose is very clear. Let's all say it together. We exist to love people and point them to Christ. So it's real simple for us. Our purpose drives us. What are we here for? To love people and point them to Christ. Uh, The second thing that you have to uh, uh, understand and implement if you're going to live the unbroken life is you have to begin to align your priorities with God's priorities. You have to begin to overlay what he says is a priority over what you may uh, originally believe is a priority because God's plan for your life or for your benefit. So we then begin to align our priorities with him. You made a great decision today. You came to the house of God on the first morning of the first day of the week. In other words, just like Matthew chapter 6 says, you are seeking first. Everybody say first. You're seeking first the kingdom of God. You have established that the house of God, the things of God, the word of God is a priority in your life. And when you do that, you begin to see the kingdom of God move because the Bible says if you'll do that, he'll add all these things unto you. What are all these things? It's all the things related to an abundant life. How, How sad would it be to serve God and go to heaven but your kids don't make it? That's why Noah's ark was such a blessing, not because Noah was saved, but because it was big enough not to just hold all the animals, took all of his sons with him. So literally, when we align our priorities with God's priorities, now we have the opportunity to live the unbroken life. Today, I'm going to talk about the third key to living an unbroken life. And the devil does not want you living uh, uh, an unbroken life. He wants you walking around limping for the rest of your life and wounded. But the third key to living the unbroken life is living under the provision. Everybody say provision. provision. The provision of heaven. So that means our money. How does our money play into our Christian life? What does this even mean? So there's a lot of very reasonable and rational questions. What does God say about money? Is money bad? Well, I've heard it quoted all the time. Money is the root of all evil. That's not true. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is neither good or bad. Money is like a hammer. A hammer in the hands of the right carpenter and you're going to get a really nice house built. A hammer in the hands of an evil person and they can do all kind of damage with it. It's just a hammer until somebody picks it up. Money is just a tool or a resource that can be used for the kingdom of God or it can be used against the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, if money was actually bad, nobody would work 40 hours a week to go get some of it. 
And if you thought money was bad, you'd never let your kids stuff some of it in a piggy bank and stick it under their bed because it would be so bad. We would all be out in the street burning all of our money because of how bad. Money is not bad. Matter of fact, money is not even evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, if you seek the things, you'll miss the kingdom. But if you'll seek the kingdom, you get all the things. So the question is, what does God say about your money? Everybody say, my money. In life, it seems to me like we care about our own money more than we care about other people's money. It seems to me like uh, uh, it, hits, it hits harder for us. So, so you're not as concerned with my retirement account as you are with your retirement account, and that's okay. That's because it has, it has a very close-knit relationship to you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, where your money is, there your heart will be also. So literally, God cares about your heart, therefore certainly God cares about your money. Can I get a witness in the house of God? So the scripture says uh, in Psalms chapter number 35, verse 27, it says, God has great pleasure in the prosperity of his people. God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. So number one, God enjoys your prosperity. When it comes to provision, you have to, the Bible says you make the tree good or you make the tree evil. There is no orange tree that is giving apples and there are no apple trees that is giving, that are giving, that's giving oranges. You make the tree one or you make the tree the other. God either wants you blessed or he wants you cursed. There is no in between. And the Bible makes it emphatically clear that he takes great pleasure in the prosperity of his children. Well, how do we know that? Well, no good parent sits on, on, on Christmas morning sitting staring at the tree when they've got three children and no good parent is given one thought to what they're going to get from their children. The only thing they're actually thinking about is what they actually wanted to bless their kids with. You wait on Christmas morning all year long. You get them in, ours already did it. You get them to make themselves a, you get them to make themselves a list. And then you say, well, I want this, I want to know what you want because I take pleasure in blessing. I take pleasure in prospering you. I take pleasure in blessing you. You say, well, you don't understand. I'm a grown up now. How can God do that? The Bible says we are all children of God. We are not adults of God. The Bible says when we go to the Lord, if we're ever going to even access him, they asked him one time, they said, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He said, let me tell you what, you can't even access heaven unless you be converted like a little child. Well, how does a little child look? A little child looks at their mom and their dad, especially if it's a good mom and dad, knowing that that mom and dad take pleasure in the prosperity of their children. If you have three or four kids, I could, I could line them up here for you and say, well, let's just, let's just think about it. Which one of these children would you want to live in poverty? And you would immediately say, well, I don't want any of my kids living in poverty. The Bible says, how much more so does our father know how to bless his children, our heavenly father? So number one, when it comes to your provision, if you're going to live in under, the, under kingdom provision, if you're going to live under the provision of heaven, you have to get the realization that God wants you blessed. Somebody say amen or oh me. God wants you blessed. No missionary gets on a plane and flies anywhere without somebody paying for the ticket. God wants you blessed. God wants you to have a secure home and a nice house and, and your family to be nice and at peace. Listen to this. Thanksgiving's coming up. He even wants your family at peace at Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. Even when, even when cousin Ned comes over, he wants all of y'all at peace. Praise God. God wants you blessed. He enjoys the prosperity of his children. So the next reasonable, so now we know money's not bad and God, God doesn't mind us having something. On the contrary, he actually takes pleasure when we prosper. So the next question is, how do we access this kingdom resource? How do we access the provision of heaven? Number two, you have to believe the Bible. You have to believe the Bible. I'm going to do a poll real quick. And I want you to lift your hand if you agree with this. Is the Bible the word of God? Yes. Is the Bible true? Yes. Is John 3.16 true? Yes. 
So we all believe the Bible. The Bible says in, or, in, us, uh, in order for us to access the kingdom of heaven for all eternity, we have to believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. If you agree with that, just wave one hand at me. Almost everybody, praise the Lord. If we believe and we confess, we'll be saved. So when it comes to our provision, sometimes Christians or as Christians, we try to overcomplicate it when he has made it just as clear as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. So the Bible says in Malachi chapter number three, verse number six, this is the Lord speaking to a man named Malachi. He's a prophet. And he says to him, he says, I am the Lord. He said, I change not. Because I change not, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, because God is love and because God doesn't change, when you had your rascal time, God didn't kill you. Because God doesn't change, even though we do, we are not consumed. He looks down from heaven and he says, these are my children. I want to bless them. I want to increase them. And even when they do wrong, when the principal, when they send a note home and they say, you know, little Johnny did this or little Johnny did that, the first thought that comes to your mind is, what's wrong with that teacher? Because you've got a mother bear spirit on the inside of you. You've got a father bear spirit on, oh, you don't have to admit it in church. It's all right with me. But the truth of the matter is, is you will defend your children to your last breath because you constantly are in love with them. Even when they go through their rascal season, you're still in love with them because your love as a parent doesn't change. In other words, you were made in the likeness and image of your father and that love that comes from a parent on down is the love that says I'm not throwing my kids away you might want to throw my kids away you might say they're nothing but I know that I know that I know that the God who started a good thing in them he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus God doesn't change he says I change not that's why you're not consumed verse 7 then he says this even from the days of your father you're gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them he said return unto me and I will return unto you says the Lord of hosts he said where should we return verse 8 he said will a man rob God yet you have robbed me this is God talking somebody say this is God talking you have robbed me but you say where have you robbed me God answers in tithes and offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse. God did not say, I am cursing you. He identified the condition of mankind in that moment. He did not say, I am cursing you. He said, you are cursed with a curse because you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So Malachi is having a conversation with God and he says, he says, he says, I'm God, I change not, that's why you're not consumed. And Malachi is sitting there, he goes, oh good Lord, praise the Lord, I'm glad about that. And then all of a sudden God drops this, this supernatural bombshell on Malachi. He says, you have robbed from me. And Malachi's like, who has robbed from you? Did somebody somehow transition to heaven and steal the the gold uh, 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 latchet from the pearly gate? Did they come and pry up some of those golden bricks and begin to carry them out? Did they go to that crystal sea and chip some of it and try to bring it home? Did they go to those great walls of jasper and pull some off and stick them in their pockets and run? Where? How did they? Who did it? And God says, all of you have done it. Malachi said, what? He says, you have, how can you rob from God? He said, in tithes and offerings. He says, he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Now, interestingly enough, he doesn't say bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse, even though offerings belong in the house of God too. He said, bring the tithe into the storehouse. He said, bring the tithes into the storehouse. That word in the Hebrew storehouse is the word for the treasury of the temple or the church in that day. He said, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there might be supply in my house. Then he says this, he said, prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not for the fruit of your ground, neither shall your cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations, somebody say all nations. All nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. God says you have 
rob from him. Now I got some gold. Hold the phone. How did we rob from you? He says, in tithes and offerings. But here's the thing. For lack of knowledge, my people perish. God didn't say everybody perishes for lack of knowledge. He threw a rope around all of us and said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. He says, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house, that there might be supply. Now, I've been a Christian. I don't even remember the first time I accepted Jesus. I just know I've accepted him and I love him. My whole life is committed to him. My family is committed to him. But I've heard Christians say stuff like this. They've said tithing is in the Old Testament or tithing is of the law. Now, most of the time in their defense, they don't know Genesis from Revelation in the Bible. They just heard somebody else say that that was totally bitter in their family or their circle or otherwise, and they're just parroting what somebody else said. And the reason that that comes to the mind of so many people is because if the devil is ever going to fight you in any area of your life, he is going to fight you in your finances. Because the minute that you begin to have a savings account and you begin to go buy a home and you begin to pay your car off, now all of a sudden you become a candidate to do more for the kingdom of God than you could have done without it. You say, well, I thought everybody is the same. God is no respecter of persons, but if you got $5,000 of revenue that is not spoken for every month, all of a sudden God can drop it in your spirit and say, hey, send $2,500 to that missionary over in India because they need it. But if you don't have $5,000 extra a month, he's got to tell somebody else. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. Some of you, I can tell it, you couldn't even imagine $5,000 extra a month. I want you to close your eyes right now. This is called faithing. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to picture a bank account with $75,000 in it online. Now I want you to picture you, your name or you and your wife or you and your husband right above it. I'm telling you before God. That will just be scratching the surface for what God's about to do for the people of New Heights Church. Give God a big hand of praise. Oh, tithing's Old Testament. Let me tell you something. Tithing's of the law. Well, number one, the law didn't come until Moses went up on the mountain and got it. But long before that, the Bible says that, Abra, that, that Adam and Eve were, planted, were put in the garden. And the Bible says, God says, you can have access to everything you want. He said, as long as you don't rob from me the one thing I've set aside, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden, the devil, he didn't come and say, ooh, look at all these other trees. He began to talk about the one thing that God said keep separate. The Bible says that our tithe is holy. Everybody say holy. Holy is a very interesting word. We kick it around and if I asked 10 people what does it mean, I'd get 10 different definitions. But biblical definition of holy means separate, set apart for God. So the tithe, the Bible says, is a holy thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a form and type, type and shadow of the tithe. In the very beginning, God says, you can have it all, but leave unto me what I have set aside unto me. The Bible says Adam and Eve had two sons. Their first two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain ended up killing Abel because he was jealous because God appreciated or respected one offering more than he respected another. And he respected the offering of Abel, which was the firstlings of his flock. Tithe always represents 10% of our increase and it is always the first 10% of our increase. Why is it the first 10%? That's the only part that requires faith. If you don't have 10% left over at the end, or excuse me, if you have 10% left over at the end, it doesn't require any faith because you've already done it. But the minute you begin to trust God more than you trust the, the decimal places in, your, uh, in what you can see, that's when God begins to become real in your life. You say, oh, he's real. He, he's in my prayer life. Let me just tell you something. Respectfully, your prayer life doesn't cost you anything. And if we're real honest, most people's prayer life is when they're driving to work or they're driving somewhere and you would be driving there anyway. 
Most people's prayer life uh, is right before they're about to eat a meal. And you got some time between you talk to the waitress and you get your meal. You That time's going to pass whether you pray or not. It's not costing you a thing. Your prayer life doesn't cost you one thing most of the time. Now, I know some people are, are praying 24 or 23 hours a day, and I appreciate that very much. But most of us in here are doing it the way that most people are doing it, and it doesn't have a cost to your life. So the Scripture says... the. First 10%. God respected Abel's offering. Then the Bible says uh, later that that, that, uh, the first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark is he built an altar and he offered unto God. The first thing. Later the Bible says that Abram would, would come after having a great victory and this is all still before the law and he comes and he gives 10%. He tithes into Melchizedek who some people say is a is Christ. Most historians believe that he's a form and type, type and shadow of Christ. He poured into him in Hebrews chapter 7 the Bible says men like me receive tithes but I will die one day. But when we pour our tithes into the house of God the Bible says even now him who it is testified that he is still alive receives our tithes in heaven. The Bible says later that Jesus was specifically asked, uh, well, what about this? What about that? He goes, look, he said, you 100, this is Matthew 23, 23, 100% should tithe. Just don't leave the other things undone. In other words, tithing is one part of the Bible, but it's not the whole part of the Bible, which goes back to our priorities. We begin to put our priorities in line with God, and now all of a sudden we become a priority in God's eyes. It's the first 10%. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, still before the law, that the firstborn of every sheep is to be offered to the house of God. And the Bible says there that when your children ask you, Daddy, why are we bringing this little baby sheep, the first one of the flock, why are we bringing this little baby sheep to the house of God? He says, you tell your children it is because God through his mighty right hand has ransomed us and rescued us from bondage and this is the covenant that we keep for all eternity with him. He says, he says, Do this and don't leave the other undone. The precept to access the promise is believe the Bible. We all believe John 3.16. Why don't we believe Malachi 3? We all believe Romans 8. Why don't we believe Matthew 23.23? Now this is the most faithful church I've ever heard of. So I'm just telling you at the core of how you Activate kingdom provision in your life and begin to live that unbroken life is you just do what he said to do. Your family, you'll do things for your children you wouldn't do for yourself. I'll do things for my children I wouldn't do for myself. You haven't taken a vitamin in six weeks, but your kid hadn't missed their Flintstone once. Because you will do for your children what you won't do for yourself. The Bible says when Abram tithed, the Bible says that it went to the account of Isaac, the next generation. When you tithe, when you offer, it goes to the account of your children and your children's children. He says, return unto me. Why does he say return unto me? Because all the gold and silver belongs to God. The Bible says all the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. But can I just say this? All the hills that the cattle are standing on belongs to God. All the green grass that the cows are eating belongs to God. All the water that they drink out from a creek belongs to God. All the milk that the mama cows give the baby calves belongs to God. He owns it all. We are returning unto him what belongs to him. It is a return. So what does that mean? That means to activate the law of seed time and harvest, we go past the tithe. Tithing belongs to him. If, if you, I have a, an incredible chainsaw. It's a Husqvarna 141. You can Google it. You, you just rip it. Wrong, that thing will go, man. You can, cut down, you can cut down all kind of stuff. And my chainsaw is so tough. The other day, I ran over it with my tractor and it still runs. <laughs> I was so proud of that chainsaw. I said, you go on ahead, you little chainsaw, you. But if you come to my house and you borrow my tractor run over chainsaw, I'll let you use it. You take it, you go cut down whatever tree you're going to cut down, then you bring it back to me. I will be polite because my wife tells me to be polite and I will say thank you. But you didn't give me something that doesn't belong to me. 
You just returned unto me what was already mine. Now, if you give me my chainsaw and there's a $20 Starbucks gift card on it, all of a sudden I'm going to begin to feel the law of reaping and sowing begin to come into effect. And at the bare minimum, you're going to get a big old hug. But returning my chainsaw, you didn't do anything. You just gave me what was mine. When you return your tithe to the Lord, what happens, that's the precept. The, the promise is he begins to open the windows of heaven over your life. He begins to pour out a blessing you don't have room enough to receive. You said, I've never had a blessing I don't have room enough to receive. The original Hebrew more says it like this. He'll open the windows of heaven and he will never shut them. That means it'll just forever and always just rain in your life. Did you know that one of the other times in the Bible, it only says it a few times, the windows of heaven opened was whenever Noah got in the ark and the Bible says the windows of heaven opened and it rained. And the more the rain fell, the higher God's people rose. You see, when the windows of heaven are opened over your life, now things start to change. Well, he doesn't just do that. He rebukes the devourer. You know, it's one thing to make money. It's another thing to keep the money you make. If you're like me, I was the other day, I was at the gas station, and I, I bought a drink, and it was like $3. And I had, I had like, a, like a handful of $20 bills, and I pulled it out, and I went to hand it to her, and I said, no, and I put that sucker on my little card. $3. She looked at me. I said, when I break that 20, it's gone. <laughs> it's one thing to have money. It's another thing to keep your money. When he rebukes the devourer for your sake. He said today he won't just rebuke the devourer. He'll make sure that your, your harvest doesn't come in too early. Well, I'm ready for my harvest now. Are you really? Because let me just tell you some of the other keys in the Bible that really work towards increase, when you begin to access the provision of God, living like a lazy bones doesn't do it. Ooh, it's quiet in here, John. <laughs> living like a lazy bones doesn't. If you're going to run with me, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you respectfully, you got to hit it and get it because I'm not going to be pulling you for the rest of my life. I'll pull you for a little while, but if you're going to be on staff at this church, if you're going to be on leadership at this church, if you're going to help us love people and point them to Christ at a high level, we are going to get after it. And here's why. Harvest time is 10 times harder than seed time. The Bible said seed time and harvest. Did you know we keep a little garden at our house? It's beautiful. It's got a beautiful sign. You walk under, got a beautiful green gate. You walk in, it's got a beautiful sign. And, and the sign has like beautiful flowers on it. And it says crystals, greens, and things. Sometimes we plant all kind of stuff. But if you plant a carrot, I don't know if you've ever planted a carrot, you're only supposed to plant those like a half an inch deep. And the, the, the seed for a carrot is barely bigger than a grain of sand. And you just, just stab your finger just, just a half an inch, boom. You drop the little carrot in there, you just put it over, and you feel like you hadn't done anything. But when it's harvest time, you got to dig and pull the carrot out of the ground, which is 10 times harder than putting the seed in. And then the harvest, get this, the harvest is filthy. You have to wash the carrot. You have to cut off all the little straggler roots that are hanging off of it. You don't want to eat the grass of a carrot unless you're crazy. So you got to cut that off too. Then if you want to eat it and you want it any good, you got to put some butter and some salt on it, praise the Lord. But harvest time is 10 times more work than seed time. Sometimes we're sitting there going, when's my harvest coming in? And the Lord's going, when you go get it. Oh, I'll just preach the, the drum set. Praise the Lord. When you go get it. Well, praise God. I'll tell you what. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. It doesn't say the wealth of the wicked is set on your porch every morning and you go pick it up like a liter of milk in the old days. The Bible says the, the kingdom of God suffers violent, but the violent take it by force. <laughs> talking about the provision of heaven. I'm talking about changing your whole life and every generation after.
your whole life and every generation after. There are two things that have been the most critical in my life. I was, I was meditating on this, trying to figure out what are the two things that are the most critical in my daily life that I have done consistency, consistently. Number one, making the house of God an overwhelming priority. I don't even know how to tell you what the, 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 I don't even know, I can't even describe what it's done for me. Just knowing once a week, for me, it's always been twice a week, twice a week, hearing the word of God, being around anointed worship, being around God's people, having the opportunity to be prayed for. And even better than that, having the opportunity to pray for somebody else, because then your problems don't feel quite as big. Being in the house of God. And then number two, without a, beyond a shadow of any doubt is being faithful with tithes and offerings. Because at the end of the day, when the devil screams at me and says, you're not going to make it, I can open my Bible and I can say, that is not true because he said he will open the windows of heaven and he will rebuke you for my sake. There's nothing more critical than opening heaven's provision over your life. This is for your family, but it's not just for your family. You see, God's plans are always beneficial, not just for you, but they are good for everybody involved. They are good all the way around. They're multifaceted. In other words, the world will tell you in order for you to get to the top, you're going to have to step on somebody's neck on the way there and, and just push everybody down, and that's how you make it. But God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. And what happens when you get to the top, now you've got a lot of people that are for you and not a lot of people that are trying to knock you off the top. Because at the end of it all, whenever you get to the top of the hill, let me just tell you something. The higher the baboon climbs the tree, the more of it's behind you see. Some of you are ready to go to the top, but you're not ready to be seen. Man, this is good. When you tithe, when you offer, your family benefits for every generation. Every generation. But the kingdom benefits. You see, no, 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 the, the, the next point I want to bring up. Why do we tithe to the house of God? Because the Bible says so. But, but I give, you know, money to the, to, under the bridge and I give money to Salvation Army and I give money. Well, if you want to rewrite the Bible, that's fine, but nobody's going to read it but you. Because the Bible says the tithe belongs to God and you return it to the house of God. Why do we return it to the house of God? Because God's plan is not just about you. God's plan is not just about how you feel in a given moment. The, and we may, this church, we may do a bake sale or something every now and then, but the kingdom of God was designed to be financed by the tithes and offerings of God's people. Period. This is how it works. This is how he planned it. And everywhere else, that, that everywhere else in the Bible where we see God's people doing this, you see people blessed. Let me just say this. This church is the most faithful church I've ever been a part of. We're two and a half years old of, uh, a couple of years ago and we're, we're negotiating and buying a building for $1.5 million. Give God a big hand of praise. That's because God's people are faithful. And it's not just good for your family. The Bible says in Malachi that he'll, he'll make sure that your harvest doesn't come in too soon. Make sure that your vine doesn't cast its fruit before its time. Well, why is that important? I'm glad you asked. We had a member of the church a couple weeks ago that had a $52,000 debt canceled. These are faithful people. They love the Lord and they are honorable. If God would have given them $52,000 the day before they would have paid the debt that God was planning to cancel. Yes. He will make sure your harvest comes in when it's best for you for your harvest to come in. Give God a big hand of praise. 
So why do we do it to the house of God? We do it to the house of God because God has a plan. God has a, God has a plan for how it's all going to come together. It's a big circle. It's a big unbroken circle that should, we should all play our part in. And when we do, things begin to change. But at the, at the root of it all, it's because God said so. But if you want even more reasons, Acts chapter 4. This is right after the day of Pentecost. Everything's happening. The new church is being formed. The new body of Christ is being formed. Everything's shifting. 4 and 33 says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace, everybody say great grace. Great grace was upon them all, 34. Neither was there any of them that lacked. Nobody had any lack among them. This is exactly how the Israelites came out of Egypt. They spent 400 years in bondage going, when are you gonna show up? When are you gonna show up? God showed up and they were carrying so much gold that they were just dropping it all along the way. Nobody was sick. Nobody was hurt. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. The will of God for your life is not for you to live in lack, not for you to live in poverty. He said there was none that lacked among them for as many as were possessors of lands and houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that they were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. In other words, they brought it to the new church. This was the church being formed. And then the church began to make distribution because it's not all about you. It's not all about me, praise the Lord. So why the house of God? I'm glad you've asked. I've got a great example. Bring my guys up here real quick. Y'all give them a hand as they come. We're going to get to our next point. But before we do, I want to show you something. Right here, we have a, 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 a pallet. Loaded down with bricks, and it's approximately 7.5 million pounds of bricks, <laughs> or something like that. It's an estimate, you know. But, but what I want you to see is, here's what happens if we all decided to write our own Bible and say, you know what, I'm just going to put my tithe here, I'm going to put my tithe there, I'm going to just, let's just all go in different directions. So we got four ropes, I want all four of you guys, when I count to three, to pull in, in different directions for five seconds. One, two, three, go. Five. Four, three, two, one, stop. You guys aren't doing any good. You're strong, you're strong, you're strong, you're strong. And nobody's making any progress because we're all pulling in different directions. They said, well, what happened in the early church? They said they brought it to the new church. They put it at the apostles' feet and the distribution was made. Well, how was distribution made? Distribution was made in the direction that was most necessary at the time. Everybody get on one side. Now, I don't want you guys to try hard because I know you guys just really tried hard right there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ride this rig. When I count it, don't y'all knock me off of here. In the name of Jesus. One, two, three, go. I, when I got on it, it actually, the weight went down. Number three, when we're all pulling in the same direction, we have exponential results. Focus produces exponential results. If we're all pulling in different directions, some good will be done. Nobody would argue that. But your tithe belongs in the house of God for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom being able to do something great that one person alone can't do and four people pulling in opposite directions will never do. Amen. Lastly, the scripture says that the tithe is holy, separate, precious. And when we're all pulling in the same direction, we can certainly do something that is great. But I would even put, I would even put into your ears the idea that we can do things that are precious. This is just a newspaper, but newspaper, as you guys know, can be torn very simple. But if me and Brandon, if we walk in the same direction, we can go all day long. I can go up here. He can go up here. As long as we're moving in the same direction, there's no problem. Now, bring me my four guys back. Everybody grab one side. And on the count of three, I want everybody to take a step in the opposite direction. One, two, three, go. You see... When we're going in the same direction, something great can be done and what is precious is not broken. 
But when we decide to do our own thing, contrary to what God's word said, we get nowhere when we try to do something great. And when something precious comes up, we just destroy it instead. I'm going to share with you some things over the next few minutes about what our church has really been about because for five years now, our church has been, our church has been committed to things and sometimes, sometimes things are not known throughout and it's because one reason is what is done secretly is rewarded publicly. So it's not our MO to just go trumpeting every single good thing that the church does. But I want to let you know some things because of the faithfulness of this house, because we're all grabbing and pulling in the same direction. I want to show you some of the things that God's doing. At this point, up to the beginning of October, we have been averaging 530 people a week at New Heights Church. There's other churches that are bigger. There's other churches that are smaller. And you say, well, it's not about numbers. Well, then why did Jesus tell us he fed 5,000? Why didn't he just say, I fed some people? Because every number represents a person and every person represents somebody that can help us love people and point them to Christ. This is a great thing, but, but to kind of put it into context, this time last year, We are averaging 60% more people than we had this time last year. The the difference that God makes when we begin to do things and pull the wagon all in the same direction. And and look, we don't just go to church here. You know, if if you come to church here more than about five minutes, we're going to recruit you to our volunteer team, which is our first touch team. And right now we have over 150 active volunteers at this church. because we're pulling in one direction. Now, now, John the Baptist was a great preacher in his day and, and, and he always preached by the river and he preached by the river, number one, because he was going to baptize people, but number two, because everybody had to go to the river. If you wanted to take a bath, you went to the river. If you want to get something to drink, don't get a drink down, down river from a bath person. You go get you some water. You want to go fishing, you go to the river. Everybody went to the river. People still go to the river today. We go to the river, just sit and fish. We throw a thing in there, just watch it, sit on the beach. Everybody go to the river. The reason he went to the river is because that's where everybody was. Today, we have that same access in everybody's pocket through social media. So that's why we are there. So when you see New Heights Church in a, a video or a picture, when you do just a simple thing of like and share, and you decide you are literally helping the gospel go around the globe. You never, I get it every time. Oh, pastor, boy, that picture that you put on social media, number one, I didn't put it. But number two, it was exactly what I needed. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. That's because we are gonna go where the people are. As a matter of fact, just this past week, they set me up. I, I'm, I'm really feeling big time. I even have my own Facebook page, praise. Give God a hand of praise for a preacher. With a, I got a Facebook page, y'all. I feel like I hit 2017. Y'all, y'all look it up. Find me on there. But just in 2017 alone, almost 14,000 people have responded to our Facebook page. Sermons, videos, Quotes, scriptures, just, just what are you doing? Well, sowing seed in the name of Jesus. You don't know where somebody is or what they need, but what we do know is we're going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. 6,000 people, over 6,000 have viewed our YouTube videos this year. And that look, that's nothing but sermons. So right here from 8125 Turkey Creek Road, we're touching thousands of people. All because, all because we're pulling in one direction and we're not all struggling trying to pull in 15 directions. Here's a real interesting one. Our website has different pages on it. So it's got like the first page, the second page, the sermons, you know, all those different. I'm not sure what all they are. But we have had almost 74,000, y'all, page views on New Heights Church website. 
That's not counting the Facebook stuff. That's just the website. That is, that is taking the gospel and just saying, devil, if you're going to be online, we're going to be online, online 10 times more. And this was maybe one of my favorite ones they found. This is, this is really cool. Right here from College Station, Texas, 8125 Turkey Creek Road, 119 of the 196 recognized countries have logged in to our website. The gospel is going around the world. Well, that's great, preacher. All those things are happening, but I don't know the guy in South Korea. I don't know the guy in Russia. Maybe we shouldn't say Russia right now. There's Russia's in the news for a lot. All over the world. But right where you are sitting, because of your faithfulness, almost 2,000 people have given their heart to Jesus this year. Come on, somebody give God a big hand of praise. And at the crux of it all, it all happens because we're working together. Everybody say together. And, and I could bore you with, with statistics and figures because at, at, the, at the end of it, uh, I'm an engineer and my wife and I have other businesses, so numbers to me just, I see in numbers actually a lot of times. Sometimes I get to the grocery store and I walk in and, and I know how many cars I walked by. I don't know, I'm not trying to count them, I just count them, I don't know, but numbers, I'll go and I'll, I'll know how many, how many bumps. I'll know how many speed bumps are between here and Madisonville. Because sometimes we go to 45 on Madisonville, so I know, you know, those things. And I can bore you with figures till you're blue in the face. But I, I'm not here to talk about the things that we have to do because the things that we have to do, we can't take credit for. And we're not going to take credit anyway. We're going to take responsibility and we're going to give credit. In other words, everybody has a mortgage or rent or whatever. So, yeehaw, you did what you were supposed to do. Our building's not paid for, so we pay for that. Our, our, our insurance, like you would imagine, is through the roof. It's just the, it's just the, it's just the nature of things. It costs a lot to keep it as cold as a meat locker in here. <laughs> but I do want to share a few things with you that maybe you don't know that we've done this year so far. Only because of your faithfulness, faithfulness of God's people, doing what God said. We set our budget every year annually, as you would imagine. We've always exceeded um, all of our conservative estimates. But you never know how to estimate for a hurricane. How do you do that? But when we find out about churches that couldn't have service, the churches that, that had to repair things, churches that were, their whole facility was turned into a shelter. Churches that, that, that these are, this is 100 miles from us. This is not across the globe. This is right down the street. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we fly over the mission field on the way to the mission field. Oh, I'm called to Africa. You haven't even talked to your neighbor about Jesus. So it's hard to, how do, you, how do you even estimate for those things? Well, you don't. But you do something because we're not going to be the type that walk by somebody who's hurting and injured, the body of Christ, who's in need. We're not going to be, we'll never, we will never be a church that ignores the needs of God's people. So in August of this year, August in the first part of September when that thing rolled in, because of your faithfulness, wasn't in the budget anywhere, was it? We were able to send $6,000 immediately to churches in the Houston area that were flooded. And then another one, the Bible says in the book of James chapter 1, that pure religion and undefiled religion is ministering to widows and orphans. Because the truth of it all is, we're all orphaned, then we meet our Heavenly Father, and we're grafted in. So, orphans are, are very, very, it's hard to put in context with just English, with just the English language, but they are very, very precious to God. That's why if you feel or play the role of a step-parent 
That is one of the greatest honors in all of humanity. Did you know God even allowed his own son to be raised by a step-parent? Orphans and widows, pure and undefiled. Before our church ever had its first service five years ago, we were sowing into widows and orphans. Before this church ever had its first service, we were sowing into other churches that were launching in different areas around the world. Missionaries. This organization, New Heights Church, before we ever had our first service. And just this year alone, 2017, and I, when I say directly, I mean directly. In 2017 alone, because of your faithfulness, we've sent over $22,000 directly to widows and orphans. They wouldn't have it otherwise. We also support other, other we're partnered with other ministries and, and, and when we find out about churches that are, that are launched, we have a very special place in our heart here for churches that are starting from scratch, especially uh, places that are going into an area where they don't know anybody. When I came here with my family, we didn't know one human being in Bryan College Station. And God's faithfulness has just resounded through the whole thing. But throughout all of it, throughout all of it, we've done everything we can. See, our organization is a tithing and offering organization. And this is what I'm telling you today is not everything we've done outside of this church. Everything we've done outside uh, this year, this is just some of the stuff that I thought might be worthwhile. But we've sown into different ministries all over the world, missionaries in India, South America, church plants in New York, Washington, church plants uh, in, in Seattle, or the Seattle area, so Washington, D.C. and Washington State, church plants in Houston, other ministries in the Houston area. When we find out about these churches that have had crazy tragedies of people being shot in church, we immediately send seed. You say, well, what's money do? Well, it helps somehow. It's a lot more than a, than a, a wave and a hello. So we're always going to be a giving church. But this year alone, in the form of aid, in the form of uh, resources, in the form of, of assisting people and assisting even local ministries you say well well, where's our soup kitchen we don't have one but there's some in town and we support them you say well what do you mean how come you don't talk about that all the time because what you do privately is rewarded publicly look around church how else are we doing all this this is all by faith we don't have some secret map on how to do everything we're just doing what the Bible says the best we know how but this year on top of everything I've said, and there's more that we've done as well I'm not going to talk about, but on top of everything that we've said to different churches, different ministries, missionaries, and different aid, we have already sent out over $36,500 in 2017 alone. $36,500. And, and, and in five short years... Over a quarter of a million dollars has left New Heights Church just to say, God, go do something. God, go do something. Because the only way that your seed becomes seed is it has to have faith. It has to be covered up. It has to be something that you can't see working. You go plant a seed, the first thing you better do is put some dirt on it. And the minute you do that, you can't see it. Why is that important? Because faith is the substance of what we hope for and it's the evidence of what we cannot see. That's why when we tithe, when we offer, when we bring it to the house of the Lord and we say, come on, Lord, let's do it. And all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, the distribution of it is able to be done at a level that moves mountains yet doesn't destroy what is precious. Now all of a sudden, it shifts everything. Your own family becomes a priority in God's eyes because you've made His priorities your priority. And now all of a sudden, He opens the windows of heaven over your life. He begins to pour out a blessing. He rebukes the devourer. But it's not just good for your family. Now the church of the living God is strengthened, not just locally, but around the world because we're all pulling something in the same direction. You say, well, what about what I do outside the house of God? You heard my dad talking. You're not going to find people that are more excited to give than the Hallam family, period. Respectfully. 
We look for opportunities. I got a, I got a letter not too long ago. It was from somebody. Hey, I'm going on a mission trip. You know, go to this website. You can give to me, whatever. And, and I was reading it, and somebody said, oh, man, I guess you're on their list to ask. I looked them right in the face. I said, thank God I'm on their list to ask. I'm not going to Russia this year. At least my money can go. That's exactly what I want to do. I don't know anybody in Russia. What am I going to do? I want to put them on a plane and I want them to go share the gospel because when seed leaves your hand, it's not the last time you'll see it. It's just the last time you'll see it in that form. Because when it shows back up, it comes back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over in Jesus' name. This is how we accomplish all of this. It's how everything is done in the body of Christ. It's all by faith. Stand to your feet. So if you're wondering, how do I start tithing? I'm going to tell you, it's real simple. By faith. It's not, Pastor, my my money doesn't add up. No, duh. It's by faith. It's all by faith. All of it. I got to close quickly for the sake of time, but... Did you know the book actually says money answers all things? Even the world believes it. Oh, how's the world believe it? Go try to buy a house or a car. The first thing they want to know is let me run your credit. In other words, show me your money and I know everything I need to know about you. Money answers all things. Our checking account testifies of what is important and imperative to us. Hear me again. This is the most faithful church I've ever, I've ever been a part of. I've never pastored a church before, so I wouldn't know how to pastor a church that wasn't faithful. But if you've never tried God, then you are not living. If you've never tried God in the area of tithes and offerings, You are not living under the provision of heaven. And you'll never live the true, unbroken life that he allows. Bow your heads. If you're here today and you're not right with God, you're not living right, you're not doing right, Jesus is not Lord of your life. When I count to three, I want you to lift your hand. And with an uplifted hand, you're saying, oh God, remember me. And he really will. I'm talking fast. You just got to focus. Maybe you'd say it differently. you say, I, I, I used to walk strong with him, but I backslid and I'm like the prodigal son. If that's you and I count to three, lift your hand. And with an uplifted hand, you're saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. One, two, three, lift your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Lift it tall and bold. I see that hand. I see that hand. If you lifted your hand or you wanted to, pray this after me. Matter of fact, church, help us pray. Say, oh God. I come to you now and ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for my victory. I'm a Christian now on my way to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a big hand of praise. Priorities, purpose, provision. If you're going to live under the provision of heaven, number one, you got to just, you got to decide God wants to bless me. That's what his word says. Number two, you have to believe the Bible. You can't just believe the stuff that doesn't cost you something and think you're going to get everything God has for you. You got to believe the whole thing. And if you've never lived under that open heaven, I've never met, in 36 years, I've never met one tither that says, I wish I didn't tithe. Every person to, every single one you ever talk to says, the only thing I wish, I wish I'd have started sooner. Number three, our focused efforts produce exponential results and keep us from destroying what's precious to God. And number four, you got to do it by faith. Pray this week, if that's you. Pray this week. Pray this week about what God would have you do in the way of offering. Tithe. You don't even have to ask. You know, because the book says it.
going to ask God what he'd have you do, especially coming up in December, our sacred Sunday, when we're all going to do something special, December, so that we can give. What are we giving to? We're giving towards growth. We need to hire new staff. We need to increase the size of our building. Come on, we need to increase the size of our parking lot. Somebody say amen. And we're going to do it in Jesus' name. Lift your hands. Father, bless your people coming in. Bless them going out. Bless them in the city and the field. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.